Hello, and welcome to How I Made It Happen, a weekly podcast hosted by me, Elizabeth Ogabi. On this podcast, I speak to women who are entrepreneurs, innovators, and game changers. I dive deep into conversation with them to understand how they've taken their ideas and made them a reality. If you're new here, here's a little introduction about me. I'm the founder of For Working Ladies, a platform for entrepreneurial thinking women. I'm also the author of the newly published book, Side Hustle in Progress, a practical guide to kickstarting your business. In this book, I share everything you need to know as you embark on your own journey of turning your ideas into reality. From how to get ideas to how to market your business, I cover it all. If you'd like to purchase a copy, the link is in the show notes and it can also be purchased at all bookstores. In this week's episode, I'm joined by Abigail Bergstrom, writer and founder of Bergstrom Studio, a 316 publishing consultancy which aims to help emerging writers find their voice, turn good ideas into published books and writers into published authors. The agency represents authors such as Florence Given of best-selling feminist manifesto Women Don't Owe You Pretty and Laura Bates of Everyday Sexism, who Bergstrom published during her time at Simon & Schuster, among others. Prior to founding Bergstrom Studio, Abigail spent over a decade in the publishing industry, with her last role being at Glean Digital Talent Agency, where she set up and launched the literary arm of the business. Here, she managed over 30 titles by her clients and worked to get them onto bestseller lists, whilst also building some of today's biggest book brands. She was nominated for the Literary Agent of the Year at the 2020 British Book Awards. She was also listed in the bookseller 150 and her debut novel, What a Shame, will be published by Hodder in 2022. In this episode, we talk about how she started her career, what it takes to publish a best-selling book and how to build a strong book brand. Here is Abigail Bergstrom. Bergstrom Studio is it's a hybrid literary agency so part of it operates as a traditional literary agency and we represent authors and writers in in that traditional way Um, and then the other side of the studio is author services and I guess we're, we're looking at offering 360 consultancy to authors and want to be a home that they can come to for lots of their different needs. So uh, that might be editorial, uh, they might need help with having their novel edited, perhaps they have a nonfiction idea, but they don't quite know how to develop it into something that's commercially viable, or they're not sure how uh, the format of a proposal and how best to frame it. We work with developing IP, we work with authors on brand building, social media. Um, So it's effectively you know, the point of the business and why I wanted to set it up is I think that there's so much mystery around publishing and how do you get an agent? How do you get your book published? (laughs) How do I make this idea something that someone's going to want to pick up and be interested in commissioning? And I just think it's not, it's not as difficult as it seems when you know how. And I wanted to just kind of break down some of those barriers and make the information more accessible and just try and work with aspiring writers who are trying to get published as well as working with high profile published authors. You know, it's it's a mix and just just, yeah, helping people um, turn their ideas into into viable, viable opportunities for publishers to snap up. <laughs> who are the authors you currently represent at the moment? So at the moment, I look after, I think about six or seven. Um, so we've got Monroe Bergdorf, Laura Bates, Lottie Jeffs, Catherine Ormerod, Sophia Thacker, Florence Given, 
um I'm so scared that I've missed one off they will not be offended <laughs> I don't think yeah I don't think I have but um yeah it's a uh it's a kind of a, a mix some are writing non-fiction some children's books ghost writing poetry so oh Gina Martin the lovely Gina Martin you know one that's an amazing list um, and the majority of them have been Sunday best time sellers and they have written really impactful books and I do love that you um, represent writers who are actually I would say thought leaders so they have like content that's you know a mixture of fiction and non-fiction that's also quite impactful in the world that's what I'd say um, so your career is one that has been admirable to me and I guess to many others as well in the industry and you know you've gone from employer to entrepreneur could you share how you actually got into the industry what your first job was and how you worked your way up to your last role which was head of publishing at Glean Titles. Well firstly thank you thank you for taking an interest that's like really that's really kind and great but um I guess the first thing to say is that I, I literally couldn't get a job in publishing when I first started. I Everywhere I interviewed, if I got an interview for all the roles I applied for, I got turned down, I got turned down. It was rejection after rejection. Um, and, and then I remember having an interview at Orion for another entry-level role, and I did get down to the final two, and then they decided to go somewhere else. And I remember at that point, I, just, I, did, I didn't get out of bed for like two days. I was just so kind of um, disillusioned and just gutted I just thought it was never gonna happen so I think it's important to say that to, to anyone who's aspiring to work in publishing that you do have to keep you know someone said to me keep knocking on the on the doors and eventually one will open and I and I think that is a good advice um I eventually did get a job in publishing um of course and that was through what I did was I decided to take a job in digital advertising because at the time everyone in publishing was obsessed with digital obsessed with ebooks you know really excited and interesting in how that was going to shake up the business model and so I thought if I went to a digital first agency uh that maybe I would learn some things and I would appeal to a publisher and that did eventually work and it was one of the reasons that I got hired uh, for a publicity assistant role at Simon and Schuster which was my first entry-level job. Amazing and then from after that you moved on to? After that so then I, I was in the publicity department I think for like six months and then I applied for an editorial assistant role uh, in the editorial uh, department and then I did that for about five years uh, commissioning books and then after that, I moved across to Gleam, where I yeah set up a kind of literary agency for a management company. And we'll come back to that. So you've kind of, I guess I'd say, worked your way up through different roles. And I love that you were really strategic in thinking that, OK, let me get some skills in this area because it seems like the industry is going that way. And I think that's a really smart move. And for anyone listening, like, you know, we always talking about the skills that could help you in a role that might not necessarily be direct but could be very helpful and I think that's a really smart move so what was it that made you decide to transition into entrepreneurship and how has it been different from you you know working from someone and now working for yourself it's an interesting question because in it's so different but in many ways it's absolutely no different at all you know especially with the authors that I've taken with me from Gleam you know the way that we're working together it it, it is as if there's been no changes. It's very much the same. But um, I, I think the interesting thing is that I wanted to set up and found my own kind of 
company and do my own thing. But I think what was driving that was kind of uh, gross ambition and drive and wanting to do better things and do bigger things and, you know, push myself, push myself, push myself, more, 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 better, better, better. And ironically, the thing that finally pushed me to take the leap and start my own business was actually the fact that I got severe burnout and was really sick. And I ended up having to not work for half a year. And so the the, the setting up of the business, the actually getting my act together to do it was actually born out of needing to develop a much better work-life balance and to do something really dramatic in my life to establish that and, and get more control over it. So that's what that's what pushed me to do it in the end, even though the reason why I'd always thought about it was obviously coming from a really different place. Um, and I, you know, I think the main difference is you have complete control over your day to day. You know, I work in a really similar way. I'm still at my desk every morning at half past nine and we'll sit there until early evening. But then if I want to take an afternoon off, then I can. And there's flexibility. And I think the main thing for me is being able to to manage my workload better. I get to choose what I take on. I can say no to, to, to work and business if I want, which is something that's you know, important to be able to do for me, you know, to, to, to say no and to set boundaries for myself. And I'm not chasing, you know, million pound business targets anymore. I'm chasing a happier, healthier, balanced life. And that is the biggest change fundamentally. I love that. And I think that's what a lot of people are chasing at the moment. And someone who I interviewed um, yesterday actually actually gave the exact same response. Um, she was looking to chase something that was going to make her much happier. She had also experienced burnout and um, she decided to take a break. And that's when her business idea came to her. So that seems to be quite a trend. It shouldn't be. <laughs> but um... yes, do you know what, Elizabeth, it is a trend. And I'm, I'm actually really glad that you said that because the caveat and the thing that I do want to say is I've definitely been hearing from a lot of women recently who have very, very senior positions uh, in, you know, important kind of international businesses and I know that they are feeling this pressure to that that in order you know the next step of success quote unquote is to set something up is to have a startup is to have your own business is to work for yourself and they're feeling like I actually I don't want to do that and I'm sort of thinking that if I don't I'm not as successful or I'm not as doing as well as some of my peers who decided and I think that's I think that's so fundamentally wrong and I think that's something that that we all need to be cautious of and talking about because at the end of the day you can be an entrepreneur um as you talk about so much um, elizabeth you can be an entrepreneur with inside of a business as much as you can be outside of it working for yourself and, and i and i do think that it's not a marker of success i think it's personal choice and what works for you yeah which leads me to my next question because you went to um gleam futures and you set up gleam titles which was the the publishing sector or the, the literacy or how would you describe it? Yes. So I went across to Gleam to effectively look after their publishing. And at the time, uh, social media influencer publishing in that kind of YouTuber world was was kicking off and exploding. Um, and I published a few of those books at Simon & Schuster. And one of them was actually 
a gleam talent and that's how I met them and they were sort of saying look we've got this huge influx of interest so many of our talent want to do books we you know we, we need quality control we, we need to be protecting them with having someone who understands the business knows what they're doing you know we want to build re- like strong relationships with publishers and we just need help doing that so the role initially was to go over and do that and so and my boss at the time I remember him saying to me do not do it don't do it you're going to be this glorified rights person who's just selling whatever you're given and you won't be satisfied. And I remember this, the um, CEO of Simon & Schuster, Ian Chapman, saying to me, you know, this is either going to be like the worst move of your career or the best, but my hunch is it's the latter. And so I think there was a real kind of, what are you doing? And I always had in the back of my mind that that actually, like any genre that explodes in publishing, the bubble will pop, the market will flood become oversaturated and that Gleam would have to do something a lot more interesting and creative in terms of how they continued with the publishing side of the business and so I went over I think for the first uh nine to twelve months I sort of did the job and 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 then within the first year I pitched them a business idea to set up a literary agency and to start specializing in representing digital first writers of people who you know, saw themselves and indeed, you know, like the Emma Gannons of this world are writers first and foremost, but they happen to be really fucking great at branding and really smart in how they uh, put themselves out there and promote their work. And they have lots of different, you know, they've built a profile online, be it through Twitter, uh, newsletters, blogs, et cetera. And I just felt that there was so much space for, an, for a literary agency to specialise in that. And Gleam had all of that digital forward-facing knowledge and I had all of the publishing knowledge. And I just thought if we could combine those things and work together, we could create something really original and really special, which, which I think we did. And I love that story because it showed that you had that entrepreneurial thinking within an organization. You know, you saw like a business opportunity, you went and pitched it over to the founders or the CEO at the time, and you was able to make that a reality. And I think that goes back to your point that you don't have to set up your own business. You can work within an organization and, you know, help innovate and help it grow. And I think that's very important because I always talk about entrepreneurship, like people working within an organization and creating great change and value for the company. Um, There's a lot of pressure of which one's better, work for yourself or, you know, work within an organization. Yeah, neither is better. Exactly. Neither is better. I think for me, the choice comes down to how do you want to work and live? If you want to, you know, if there's a particular way that you want to work and live that you can't get within an organization, then you might need to create that for yourself. Yeah. And for me, it's down to that feeling of, I think this is a better way of working for me and I can create that. Let me do that. And it's personal choice. Everyone has their different stories, but there's neither of them are better than the other. Yeah, I agree. Definitely have their pros and cons. So um, with Gleam Titles, the unique selling point was all about being digital first. So you worked with writers who had a strong online presence. And in my opinion, you were ahead of the curve when you were doing that, because right now in the publishing industry, what I see is that a lot of influencers or founders or platform owners are being approached with book deals by publishers. And, you know, myself, for example, I was approached, although I did have the book in Google Docs somewhere, (laughs) ready to pitch. Um, But it's different. It's no longer the traditional writer's that we're seeing becoming authors, but it's now just people who have a story or I guess content that they want to share. So things are changing. Do you think that's a good thing for the industry? Because I think there have been a lot of comments, I think from traditional writers that this person isn't a writer, why are they getting a book deal and et cetera, et cetera. 
Well, you know, yes, you're entirely right that publishers and agents have started looking for writers um, more in these places, i.e. on different platforms. That is true. But but I, but I it hasn't taken away from the fact that writers are still coming up and coming through in the very traditional way that they always have. So, you know, one's not cancelling the other out. And I think there are certain types of uh, imprints and editors that publish certain types of books and some want to specialize in one or the other and some do a mixture of both so um i don't think it has to be one or the other and i i do feel that social media has democratized publishing and i and i do feel that social media has brought about more diversity in the type of people that are being published because in a weird well not in a weird way but <laughs> but in a way um it's sort of decentralized commissioning power in the sense that the audience are telling us what they want. They're telling us what they're interested in. They're telling us what the trend is. The data is more readily available than ever. And agents are responding to that. And, and editors are responding to that rather than a group of people who, you know, quite frankly, are often from a very similar background, have a very similar education, are very, very similar in, a ma- in myriad ways, just, you know, deciding out of thin air what to, what to publish or things going through that that narrower route. So I think it's been an incredible thing for publishing. And I've, you know, I've built a career in being an expert in uh, the, you know, specialising in the cross-section between digital and print and establishing what transitions nicely. And I'm the first person to say an Instagram following does not a book make. And I think there's tons of examples of failed books and, and they never needed to be books. They, the content was living and breathing and existing perfectly online. It never needed to be a book. And that's the that's where the strategy and the intelligence comes in, in understanding and figuring out where the added value would be and if indeed it's necessary in the first place. I totally agree with that point. Everything doesn't need to be a book. <laughs> Um, So one of these services that you offer to authors is building their brands out. And so, you know, you first publish a book, but then there's more to go beyond that. So it's sustaining your presence and kind of making a mark with your work. In terms of actually building a brand for the authors listening or the aspiring authors, what are the types of things they should be thinking about? Um, One of the main things I think is consistency. I think consistency in, in what you're talking about what you're sharing you know if you're if you're a writer and you've got in mind what you want that book to be maybe you see yourself as being quite a literary market author Uh, perhaps you want to talk about uh, fertility or parenting whatever it is you should be thinking about that in the type of content that you're pushing out and talking about online and this actually makes me think of Pandora Sykes essay collection and how she writes about the flattening of women and how, um, you know, we're kind of forced to really simplify ourselves and make ourselves one dimensional for the, for, you know, so it's easier for people to be able to understand who we are. And I think that's what social media does in a way. It's like a weird cartoon version of us or a flattening of us. And whether we like it or not, in order to cut through, it needs to be clear. The audience needs to know exactly who we are, what we're about and what we're talking about. And you won't cut through, you need consistency. And the other thing is, you know, whenever I work with an author to try and help them with their book idea, I'm always trying to get at like their guts. I'm like, what is in you? Like, what is the thing that you inherently instinctively feel you need to share with the world that you instinctively need to talk about? And I just think, you know, 
a lot of people waste their time pretending to be interested in something because maybe it's a fad or maybe I don't know maybe in their mind they would love to be uh, uh, they they would love to identify with that particular thing whatever it might be fashion the environment whatever but it just doesn't work unless it's truly truly deeply authentic and I'm sorry I hate that word I wish it was an alternative (laughs) I knew the word was coming (laughs) yeah it was coming it was coming like I'm just like you know think about what's the weirdest thing about you what's the weirdest thing about you that your friends would be like ah classic Joan like that's a there's Joan again doing that thing like I don't know for me like I have like a a weird relationship with my dog and that I'm absolutely obsessed with him like he's like my best friend I love him so much you know and, and my dog's always on my Instagram because of that and that's become a little funny thing now that my followers like because I've created this little like voice and this little thing with him which is you know it's not something I ever sat down and thought about how can I make this part of my brand it's just I just love my dog Oops. so I think just go back to what's your thing what makes you you and how can you find a way to share that online and and you know like please don't be talking about everything because no one person can cover everything just just choose some things like almost like the flattening is useful that makes sense I don't know yes no it does perfect sense so it was consistency and in a nutshell being authentic just truly being you and really liking what you like um yeah I think that's important so the writers that you tend to represent are female identifying and when I published my book what I did notice was that in the business category and in the self-help category there tends to be a lot of books by men and it was actually a man that did this really long LinkedIn post complaining about it and you know it was like a lot of it and in those books there's like a lot of misogynistic like content and patriarchal and stuff like that and I do think when it comes to um and it's not that those books are bad they're actually quite good because I've got loads of books by men in my house, if I'm honest, especially business books. Um, And they're not bad, but at the same time, it is important to have a diversity of thought, not just for representation purposes, but just so that we're hearing things from different perspectives as well. How do you think that the industry could do better in that? And how is your own company that you've set up helping shape the industry going forward? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I've, you know, industry wise and this goes for all of us you know we all need to be looking for for talent and authors and writers in different places um and i think you know there's a lot of publishers now that again are decentralizing they're they're opening up offices in different parts of the country i think we need to be getting into schools getting at getting at kids at a younger age to let them know that writing is a possibility for them that it is something that they can do um i also think you know, as a editor or as an agent, you are in a position of power in the sense that you literally have control over who is getting published. And if you're not thinking about and monitoring and ensuring diversity on your list, then you have no place in in the industry is the way that I see it. And, uh, you know, I've always, I always have had a diverse list. It's something that I've always thought about, but it is something that I still have to think about all the time. And I think, it, you know, we need to be having conversations about it all the time. Um, the other thing is, I think, just trying as a business, you know, if every business or every imprint or every agency could try and do even just one thing um, to try and help, to try and source underrepresented writers, then it would make a huge difference. So, you know, we're tiny. We just started and we've got the Bergstrom Studio grant. 
we're in the first year of uh, we're fundraising for the first year. Um, and this grant is basically to help subsidize a room of one's own for an underrepresented writer um, and basically give them the privilege of having a creative space so that they might be able to finish their book because that's what one needs space. And it might be subsidizing their rent so that they could live on their own and they've got the peace and quiet to write. Maybe it's a mother and it's too noisy and she can't, you know, and, and she rents a little office around the corner from her house. But the focus of the grant is to is to give someone that creative space, that room of their own. So they might, you know, have the privilege to be able to to write uh, the book that they want to write. So uh, there'll be more information about how you can apply for that next year once we've finished the fundraising um, and we'll be donating um, some of our profits to it as well. So I think just everyone just trying to do something <laughs> makes a massive difference. Yeah. And I love that you're taking that approach and using your business to help shape that change. Uh, so you've represented, you know, some brilliant authors and you've done some brilliant work. Is there anything that you feel that has helped in terms of like really define your career? Any authors or any particular pieces of work or anything significant? I'm going to say Jean Martin now because I, she was the one that I forgot. <laughs> Gina, she's a, but no, a, I, uh, that is like asking me to choose between my children. I, I mean, I know. It's so hard. <laughs> But, you know, I, the thing that I will say is that the thing that I've loved about my career thus far is that I've had an opportunity to work with so many different types of writers, you know, and I've done everything from cookery to kids books to uh, hardcore kind of polemics. And, 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 I've, and I've really loved that. So, you know, working and building um, the kind of book brand for somebody like Mrs. Hinch was an absolute incredible ride. Um, but at the same time, I think working with somebody like Laura Bates, I commissioned Everyday Sexism 10 years ago now when I was working at Simon and & Schuster and, and I agent Laura. So she and I have worked together for a decade. And, and you know, I think to have that longevity of relationship for me is 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 something that is is a highlight and, and the, a standout moment in my career. And I think that's the thing with Bergstrom Studio. You know, we don't represent a lot of authors we don't take that many you know we're not looking to sign and take that many on but the ones that we do you know the reason for that is because the ones that we do we do want to be working with you know for for decades to come and we do want to know that they are interested in moving into different genres and you know pursuing writing as a focus long term yeah I mean I definitely love the approach that you have with Bergstrom Studium like what your mission is um, so let's talk about getting a book deal and writing a book, because I think it's still um, still a bit mystical to some people. Um, and I know I've been asked the question a few times, but I'd love for you to kind of talk about it. So I approached you, I think it was like two years ago. I just randomly sent you an email and said, I want to write a book. I have this platform. <laughs> And then you responded and said, oh, brilliant. I, I think you could build the platform a bit more and then think about writing the book after. And then I decided to hold off until last year when I did um, get approached by HarperCollins. So for anyone who wants to write a book, what are the first three steps you think they should take in getting started, especially with the actual writing in itself? And sorry, before I go into that, should you actually start writing before you decide to pitch? Yes, I think you should have the idea outlined on paper thought through before you pitch yes I think that that makes sense although it seems you know to do to do what what you did had you written your book at that time and you reached out to me and you started writing it or were you just sort of like I'm going to start seeding having some conversations 
Oh, I just did um, the outline. So I did like the chapters. Well, I had what the chapters would be and how the book would flow. Exactly. Exactly that. Exactly. I don't, I don't think you want to waste um, anyone's time in kind of rocking up to an agent being like, I think I want to do a book, but I have no idea what it is. You know, you want to go. This is it. Succinct, pithy, punchy. So um, on the writing side of things, I would say, uh, I, I want to say consistency again, because, you know, the way that I eventually wrote my own book was that every Saturday morning, I just carved out a few hours um, and I would just get up early and make a cup of tea, light a candle, and I would just sit and give myself three, four hours. And every Saturday morning, that was what I did. And it becomes like a, you know, it's a ritual, um, a routine. And I think that really helps in generating momentum and getting you going. And then, of course, when you really get into it, you know, there were weekends where I didn't leave the house and deliveroos were coming four or five times a day because I was just like, oh, I have to get this minute, you know. And then there were Saturdays where I desperately, desperately didn't want to be there. And I was, you know, towards, you know, the end, um resentful and like oh but you've got to push through that as a writer so so yeah carve out the same time every week every fortnight whatever it is that you can give and be consistent and sit at your desk and just give yourself that space that time I would also say carry around a notebook or just use your notes on your phone but I think so often we have little ideas where we're like oh that would be a cool idea for a novel or like oh that's a really funny joke that would be good in a book or you know what what have you and we forget them of course we don't write them down we forget them we get really annoyed with ourselves and I think when you start to gather these little tidbits when your subconscious slowly telling you you know you could write something here this could be something if you when you start slowly gathering those tidbits when you then sit down one day and look at them all together they paint a much bigger picture and you're like hey hang on a second there's really something to go from here or they there are really these reoccurring themes or I can see this is really something that's coming through and I think that's a useful way to kind of sieve the good ideas from your own mind so yeah, I think those would be my two top tips. Great. And after someone has, you know, kind of written the outline or maybe even written a chapter or two, um, typically they'd want to go to get a book deal, right? How important do you think it is in getting an agent or is it okay to just approach the publisher directly? No, I would definitely advise against approaching the publisher directly because more often than not, publishers well, the majority of publishers, certainly the top five, don't generally read unsolicited submissions. So, you know, these editors, busy, run off their feet, uh, managing everything that they are in-house, they, you know, they, it's their job to build relationships with agents and they know that agent's taste, they know the sort of thing that agent represents, et cetera, et cetera. And you really do find the kind of like-minded people in the business that share your enthusiasm or passion for certain things. Um, so it's the agent's job to be connecting with the aspiring writers and finding them and and yeah receiving submissions for them so in the first instance my advice would be to approach agents direct and how can you go about finding an agent there's a couple of tips that I have so the first one would be any book that's similar to the one that you want to write be it a business book or a novel whatever if you go to the back of the book there'll be an acknowledgements page and in that acknowledgement page more often than not at least every good writer should be thanking their agent and their editor. Um, no, I'm kidding. But most writers do thank, you know, their family and the people that worked on their book, but they usually thank, thank their agent. So it, that's a good way to go. Ah, Here's an agent who represents this kind of book that I want to write. So then you can source their name, their agency and agencies have the agents listed. If they have an email that you can contact them, you know, and the other thing is just go online, Google literary agents, UK, 
you know, see what comes up, go on the websites. Each agent will have a profile. They will tell you really clearly in their profile what they're looking for. Underneath, they'll have a list of authors that they already represent. So you can get a feel for their tastes, what they like. Um, and you can, you know, usually track down the agent that you think at that agency would be best for you and reach out, out to them. So those are the two ways to kind of find, you know, because if you're just approaching agents blindly, you might be sending somebody, you know, a big epic feminist Western and they only publish or they only represent cookbooks, you know? One of the things I did was just ask another author, actually, because I got approached directly by the publisher. And then I was like, maybe I need an agent. I'm not too sure. So I just asked about two to three authors who I was friends with so I could ask them um, and then two of them had actually suggested their own agent and then I spoke to both of them and eventually picked one that kind of aligned so I guess that's another option as well if you do know authors that's the thing that's exactly the thing of course it's amazing to, to get an agent through recommendation that that's a great way but I think there's so many people out there in the world that you know they don't have any friends or family members or published authors um so so yeah if you do I think that's entirely right go to someone you know and I wonder even actually if there's an author you love and you dm'd them and asked that you know if they might and I did do that once as well actually <laughs> an author that I really loved and said oh did you have an agent who said yes I did and she said the details there you go so I think yeah that's another option as well so once the book is written and it's published um you know there's more work that happens outside of that to make it a success what are the kind of things that make a book a success because I think a lot of people just assume your book gets published by this big traditional publishing house and boom it's it's just gonna blow you're gonna be really famous (laughs) you're gonna be this well-known writer but that is not the case no not everyone can be Jojo Moyes yeah (laughs) But, um, yeah, no, I, I, it's so true. And this is something that I really do talk to my um, talk to aspiring uh, writers and aspiring authors about, you know, because unfortunately, getting a book deal isn't going to change your life. And I think it happens to the minority of people, you know, that where their life gets changed and their book is a blow up international success selling millions of copies worldwide and the vast majority um, it, it just becomes something that happened to them or maybe they, you know, they, their sales are like uh, more gentle, but they have a community that really loved them and, and they uh, sustain themselves commercially. And that's that's great. Just as great. Um, although, you know, yeah, probably living in a slightly less glamorous house. Um, but yeah, I, I can't tell you what makes a book a breakout commercial success, uh, because if there was a set recipe for that, my job wouldn't exist. It would, and that's the magic. That's the magic. And the other thing that I think is important to say is that I've seen absolutely amazing, gifted, talented writers' books fall by the wayside, go into the radar, and nothing happened to them. And it's sometimes when a book has breakout success, there are so many other things behind it. You know, there's marketing budgets, there's having a really passionate team, a sales team that are behind it, an editor that's championing it every single day. And, you know, sometimes it's just timing and the thing that you've written about in that moment in time really captures the consciousness and and, and the imagination of uh, the, the public at large. And it's, you know, as an agent, it's your job to take in the data, understand the market, predict those trends and guide your your authors to those places. And that, you know, there's a lot of strategy and a lot of work that comes into that, of course. But an element of, is, of it is this je ne sais quoi that none of us really, you know, what is that? Let's bottle it. But I'm, I'm glad it doesn't exist because I would be out of the job. And I love my <laughs> 
Thank you for that. Um, so when I was doing some research on you, I came across an interview that you had done with the magazine and you shared some really good career advice that I loved. And it was, don't wait for anyone's permission to get ahead. It will never come. You have to go for what you want, take the meeting, send the email, tempt fortune. Be bold. The person with the career you want had no idea what they were doing to begin with. Can you think of a moment in your career where you've had to put that advice into practice? What was that one thing that you did that kind of got you out of your comfort zone and made a significant impact on your career? Yeah, I do you know what? I think like always take the meeting. Like that's the thing that me and my best friend always say to each other. Oh, always take the meeting. I've, I've had someone's reached out about this and they, they want to meet and I'm not sure. No, 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 always take the meeting because you build relationships out of that. You never know what's going to come out of it. I think those meetings, you know, if somebody reaches out and is interested in potentially you coming to work for them and you think, gosh, I know I'm really happy in my job right now, still go because you could go to that meeting and they could offer you a job that's, you know, twice your pay bracket and is double the kind of title promotion that you thought you were in your head. You kind of learn where you're at um, through the perception of and how, how other people view you in the industry. And I've definitely done that before. And that's pushed me, even if I have been happy to go back to my current employer and go, hi, I'm actually worth this now and I should have this job title. So, and it's really pushed me to negotiate hard to, 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 to get that. Um, and I think, you know, even with, I think with the situation with Gleam, as I sort of referenced earlier, you know, a lot of senior people in the business were sort of like, what are you doing? Like you're building a really good, credible uh, list here at a publishing house. Why would you go and work for some kind of digital management company? Nobody understood really what it was, or what it was doing. People just thought that YouTube was like this fad that would, that would go away. Um, and I think, yeah, I had a meeting with the CEO there and he said to me, you know, do you know, anyone uh who might be interested you know we're looking for someone to come over do you know anyone who might be interested and I was sort of like oh yeah well I'm not sure I'll uh, go away and have a think and I went away and had a think and I went wait a minute I think I'm I think I'm <laughs> interested actually and I and it, and it felt a bit uncomfortable to email him and be like how about oh yeah I've got someone to put forward it's it's me um but he laughed and was like well yeah obviously like that was I like opened that to, you know he was sort of trying to uh, poach me and was trying to start that conversation gently but of course in my head I, I never would have you know I, I didn't at the moment in time see myself for it and it took me to go away and go that could be really exciting that could be really different and then I did send that email and say yeah I'm interested um and it came out of that so I, yeah, again, just take, take the meetings, ask the question, like put yourself forward and try and scope out how other people in your industry perceive you. Because I think more often than not, it does lead to having conversations around pay, title and increased benefits in your current position. I love that. And there was one more piece of advice that you shared that I just wanted to highlight. And it was talking about not just working hard at your career, but being fulfilled in yourself and your identity outside of your job which leads to a healthier relationship with your job and I think that is so so important because a lot of us and myself included at one point so wrapped up in our titles and in the work that we do and you know we don't spend so much time investing in our own identity and who we are outside of work but do you have any practical ways that you've done this for yourself and how has it made it better for you at your job? Yes. So, I mean, it, it, it became absolutely essential um, so that I could do my job. You know, I think getting burnout to the point where you physically 
are unable to work you it scared me I was like I need to figure this out because um if I don't get that balance then I'm I'm not going to be able to to work and you know how the hell am I going to pay my bills um so it was necessity I think unfortunately that's a huge failure on my part I wish I hadn't have got to that point and I'd have spotted it earlier but I think uh it's really you know we're valued in this day and age by our output and, and productivity and we live in a kind of capitalist consumer obsessed society and now you know we ourselves are having to feel that we need to become these you know we talked about it on this call these brands uh you know we're branding ourselves we're defining ourselves by our, our output and i just think how you assess and judge that output needs to change in the sense of for me that output was always purely work related i never factored in um the importance of like meditating or the importance of the fact that I'd been making time for my relationship and I was in a better place with my partner because of it or never factored in that I'd had a friend that was going through a really hard time and I was supporting them a lot at that at that moment in time and that was a really like great output as a person and I just think we need to stop defining our output purely through our careers and it needs to be spun out across our, our lives so and I you know I don't think there's any books or podcasts or resources that I would send anyone to to help them with this because I think it's all about inward looking and spending time with self and I'll like you know I've go to my parents caravan in uh, Devon and just spend the week there on my own or like I like I've said like you're yeah, meditating just spending time just spending a weekend on your own pottering around the house I think like spending time with yourself nurturing yourself looking inward and listening to what it is that you need and creating space for that and yeah we just need to maybe get better at saying no and not being scared to like miss opportunities um someone once said to me your career will be defined by the things that you say no to and that's resonated so true for me through through my career thus far. And so I think we just need to feel empowered in saying no and creating more space for ourselves. And then coming to the last question, you have a book coming out next year. Could you tell us a little bit about that? It's called What a Shame. What a Shame. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so What a Shame is a, is a dark feminist comedy. Um, and it's about this woman called Matilda. And Matilda is in like a really dark place. She's in despair, really. Uh, somebody very close to her has died. She's gone through a very sudden and uh, quite traumatic breakup. And I really just wanted to explore and capture this place whereby I think with things like grief, uh, deaths, breakups, etc., like very often there's a there's a ritual or a narrative around it and we know how to respond we know how to support someone who's going through those things there are there are things in place that we turn to to be able to help someone when they're in them but after a while this 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 ritual this narrative thread runs out and people just have to just carry on with their lives they can't be in it with you anymore and i think there's a moment in time in our grief whatever it is that's very very isolating and we're kind of stuck in our funks but everyone else around us is sort of saying come on it's time for you to get over this now and you've got to move forward and Matilda is stuck she's very much stuck in this place and her friends are sort of losing patience with her and as a result of that through various ways and, and through various reasons she turns to these kind of new age uh, rituals and spiritual kind of remedies to help 
figure out and excavate whatever it is that's stopping her from moving forward. And it's kind of looks at takes the mic out of this kind of a modern day relationship with spirituality and this kind of like you know is spiritual intervention happening or is it purely psychosomatic and actually if it helps what does it matter and Matilda's of kind of very she's a cynic she's a cynic about these things but she actually goes on to unearth and hear her heal herself in in a way that she could never have foreseen before I guess amazing sounds so interesting I always wonder how people can write fiction blows my mind because you have to be super creative and you know coming up with the storyline and everything and thank you so much for giving your time to this podcast if people are interested in working with you how can they get in touch they can can go to our website uh, bergstromstudio.co.uk and there's contact details there and we also have an Instagram bergstrom.studio that they can follow um, and we share kind of writing tips prompts and kind of packages and different things that we're doing over on that as well fabulous thank you so much for your time it's been such a pleasure having you oh thank you so much it's been a pleasure That's it for this episode of How I Made It Happen. If you have enjoyed this episode, please do follow, leave a review and a rating as it really helps others in discovering the podcast. And lastly, if you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, you can sign up for that at fourworkingladies.com. Thank you for listening.